0: Welcome to The Prism Effect, a podcast with me, Larry Knoll, lead pastor of The Lighting Kent. Just as prisms break light up into its spectral colors, I hope to help you discover the scripture's meaning for your life. The 2020 death numbers
1: included my younger brother, Bill, who died in July of 2021, or 2020. But God didn't want me in heaven right now. Not a bad thing. I even asked Him if you don't need me here, take me home. He kept me here. So there's something that I have to do. One of the things is getting up in front of you and anybody who, any church that asks, to give my testimony. So, it may just be me talking to you, is what God has in store, or he may have something else, I don't know. When he opens that door, I'll walk through it. I hate to tell everybody this, but even if it's not here at the light, I'm going to follow God. Uh, I have no plans on leaving, but God changes things. This started in December 27th of 2020 two days after Christmas. Christmas was done virtually. We were all doing it online because my son had COVID and his wife had COVID. So we're doing everything online. You know, we had been, we had tested and I had tested positive for COVID. I never had any symptoms up until then. Sherry never had any symptoms up until then. But on two days after Christmas, I decided it was time to go out and start the snowblower and clean the driveway. Well, the snowblower didn't cooperate, and I was totally out of breath after that. And then I came inside, and yeah, the snowblower's not going to start, so I'm not going to be clearing the driveway. But then uh, I couldn't catch my breath. Yeah, for a while I couldn't catch my breath. So after sitting in the house, you know, I. I think I told her that uh, I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> so she took me to the hospital and the next day I was in the ICU and on a ventilator. So they were working on me trying to keep me alive but you know, I was unresponsive. And uh, so I'll let Sherry come up and give you a little of what she went through during that period of time. I surprised her.
2: Well, um, when they, when the doctor and Mark FaceTimed me right before he got put in ICU, um, the doctor said he really needs to go on a respirator, and I'm thinking, oh Lord, I was thinking about Bill, you know, his brother, and what he went through, and nobody really knew how to do a whole lot with COVID at that time. It was kind of new coming about, but anyway, um, he was looking at me in that first picture when he was laying there with the nasal stuff, and I'm like, "I'm not, I'm not choosing. You have to choose for yourself. I am not making that choice to put you on a respirator when you are able to make the choice yourself. I wasn't going to do it. I didn't want that burden on me, <laughs> you know. And he chose to go ahead and do it because his lungs were down to 60 percent of oxygen getting in his body so that's when they put him on the respirator and made him comatose at that time and it was almost the whole month of January that he was out of it and I couldn't see him for a few weeks and then when I did get to see him in January he was still pretty not with it enough to really know what was going on um, but I, did, I do know this um, I'm going to say Romans 8.28. Um, we know, which means we understand as Christians, we know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And another version says it's at work for the good. When you you do a work and when God does a work, just because you say, oh, he's going to work something good doesn't mean it's going to be tomorrow, today, or whatever. A work is something in progress sometimes. Sometimes he does it right away. But the work that he does is always working to the good in some sort of situation, whether it be in our lives, his life, our children's lives, friends' lives, anybody in our circle of life. These things work something for the good.
1: So they put me on a ventilator. Later they changed it over to trach. They put me in a induced coma to keep me alive. I was bedridden. I was laying there, and I could not even raise my arms. I says, and toward, you know, even towards the end, you know, getting used to raising my arms and stuff, I could raise them. I couldn't put my glasses on. I couldn't take these and put them on because I couldn't even touch my nose. So it's like if my nose is, I couldn't scratch it. Uh, yeah, and for the major part of it, I was I was bedridden on my back, couldn't, couldn't walk, couldn't yeah, couldn't a lot of it I don't remember. I had to ask her, and there, there were things that were, I'll talk about that, that you'll understand why I have to ask her. <laughs> but uh, they put me they started me with the nasal feeding tube because you know, in a coma so you can't eat and uh, then change it to what they call a pure cutaneous an endoscopic gastronomy, or a PEG tube. It's inserted into your stomach, and it's, it started right here and went right into my stomach. From December to February, I have to talk to her because I don't remember it. I don't remember it all. The first words when I woke up that I could comprehend, I opened my eyes I looked around and realized that I was in hospital. I looked at my wife, who happened to, just happened to be there when I woke up, and I go, what month is it? I was too afraid to ask what year it was. So she told me it was almost February of 2021. And uh, God brought, brought to mind something late, during that time, and it stuck with me. as It was kind of like a word from God. And uh, I want to ex- explain it to you. He says, if you're planning to give your heart to God on your deathbed, you may wait too long. The first time that I almost died, I couldn't respond to anything. I didn't even consciously know that God existed. I said, Yeah, and I almost died twice. And, uh, yeah, it could have been too late if I wasn't ready. But God brought me through it. Yeah, COVID, it attacked me unmercifully. You know, I know. Some of you have been have have gotten COVID, different different levels, and uh, some of you never went to the hospital, and I thank God for that. I spent ten months there, but uh, so COVID attacked me unmercifully. I had to learn to sit on the side of a bed. I had to learn to walk again. When I started doing these things, I had spent so much time laying in bed on my back because I couldn't turn from side to side, couldn't move my arms, couldn't move my legs, that when they when they first started to get me up to sit on the side of the bed, my blood pressure do- dropped. It dropped so much that if you've ever had a really low blood pressure, you hear ringing and then, all of a sudden, everything goes out of focus. And I'm sitting there on the side, and I'm going, I have to lay down. I have to lay down. And then I'd, I'd lay down. So Sherry and I had talked about it. And she said, well, get them to do some uh, stretching exercises with you before they set you up. And that helped. But then after, after doing that and being able to sit for three to five minutes, which they, they considered that a miracle. Uh, then they tried to stand me up. Same thing happened. When I would stand up, I'd get dizzy. So, And I went to two rehab hospitals where they were trying to stand me up. And the first one was kind of crazy, but they, they wanted to do things their way. The, the last one, the one that I finally es- escaped from at the end, <laughs> Uh, uh, they told me that they would not make me do anything that I didn't want to do. And they said, but you you know, you have to do something. So the, the lowest my blood pressure dropped while I was in the hospital was 68 over 42. If anybody knows about blood pressure, at that level, you're supposed to be rushed to the emergency room. And I kept telling him, "No, I'm fine. Just let me lay down," and I did, and it came back. But during during the early part, I couldn't I couldn't ask God to heal me because I couldn't realize that God was right beside me. And uh, and I was pretty well drugged up in the. Uh, once, once you start on drugs and stuff, if you're not conscious, the only thing that happens to you, you lay there and have hallucinations and dreams. I had hallucinations that were so real that when she would come in to visit me, I would ask her questions about it. I said, don't the police want to come and talk to me? For what? I, well, I was almost kidnapped. So some of, some of these, some of the, the dreams, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to elaborate because it would take all day to do it because they were so real. Uh, I was mistreated by staff at the hospital, thrown into chairs, had tape put on me, and I thought it was real. And I went to her and she goes, that's a dream. I was spied upon by a nurse. Uh, and, and the funny thing is that during that, that hallucination, Pastor Larry was sitting there visiting me. (laughs) And he thought the nurse was kind of suspicious. (laughs) And the, the, the hospital that, the, the whole thing started with, I was at a hospital and the four of us went to Cleveland for something. And I ended up back in the hospital because of shortness of breath. So I was in Cleveland in a hospital. I wasn't in in uh, Cleveland Clinic or or any of the rehabs, but I was taken hostage by the same nurse that, that was spying upon me. Yeah. Hmm? Hmm. Uh. So. When I, when I was kidnapped, then I had to stay in, stay in, stay for this class that they were teaching, and they had sedated me, and and uh, they wouldn't let me go, and then I ended up being, they put mittens on me to keep me from doing anything, and I was locked in this room. Yeah, I did, really, but so I, I think it was an extension of that. And the funny thing is, after after I had had alerted people through or alerted people through ra- to a radio transmission that that the police finally came and I was and I you know, I was rescued and got out. <laughs> the funny thing is, then in the next one, I ended up in a in an apartment while I was rehabbing. And I was in the in the in the apartment next to me was the same nurse. We became friends. So it was you know that that one that one if that one takes days to tell tell about from start to finish. But uh, then I dreamed that they had just given me a new bed at the one uh, rehab hospital, and I dreamed that while I was there, or I had gotten out and come home and I thought the bed was a bathtub and I was filling it with water because I wanted to wanted to sleep in, or I wanted to lay down in the bathtub. The funny thing is that one of the people that, that were with me, or two of the people were with me were my brothers, including the one that passed away. So that's how I knew that that really didn't happen. Yeah, that's a few things that I can elaborate on. I said, we could be here all day talking about that. I says, from from March to October, from March to October, I was in and out of hospitals and rehab facilities with no end in sight. I mean, I spent time at Select Care in downtown Akron, Heather and Talmadge, And finally at Falls Village and Kaka Falls. And uh, I can tell you a little bit about those, but my support staff is here today. And I, yeah. Without them, I wouldn't be here. My wife, Sherry. And my son, Eric, they came to visit me when they could. They they probably had it worse than I did because all I had to do was lay in the hospital and get better. I mean, Sherry would come in to see me, and half the time that she saw me, she's on the phone talking to... Hospitals and doctors and insurance companies. And when she didn't come and see me, she was on the on the on the phone with hospitals and doctors and insurance companies. I mean, one time she said, "Well, I'll come and see you. It'll be in the evening." She never showed up. Part of me was mad because I didn't have visitors and I wanted her there. But I. I realistic part of me understood that she fell asleep. So, yeah, she had a tremendous burden that she had to, had to work through. And sometimes she would come in and just go, I'm not talking to anybody on the phone. And she would shut off her. She would turn the ringer off on her phone while she was visiting me. But when I when she first was able to come and see me in the rehab hospital, she massaged my legs and made me feel better. <laughs> and reassured me that it was temporary and soon I would be home. When I started going to rehab hospitals and they started started coming up with with therapy uh therapy regimens uh it was interesting because every hospital has their own uh i started at select care and uh it was kind of they were like a little crazy because uh the guy that the guy that did the therapy he was i mean I mean, he had me in pain and screaming because of the, uh, he's moving my legs and trying to get him to move beyond what I can do. And uh, But he kept assuring me that I was getting better. Well, select care is kind of like, it's a, a stopping point. You don't stay in select care. And I'm not going to tell you what, one of the nurses told me at one of the other places about what care was, but uh, I went from there to to another. Uh, I, I'm not going to. I mentioned the names of them. I'm not going to tell you what happened and uh, everything. But the uh, the second one, the therapist tried to get me to stand up. I stood up. Not for long, but I would stand up, and I, I was supported while I was standing. And he brought in this big machine, brought it in, it in front of me, says, we're going to strap you to this machine so that you can walk. And then they strapped me in and then proceeded to lower this machine onto my feet. So I started screaming in pain, and they're going, what's wrong? I says, you're on my foot. So, they took their time getting it back up, and you know, I had bruised toes from all that. And uh, yeah, even even the people that that were watching me at this place, they could tell that the therapist had his program, and I had to adhere to his program if I was going to walk. I would have to stand up so far apart with my feet turned in, and I don't walk like that. <laughs> so I would, I had parallel bars and I'd have to walk down the parallel bars, turn around, come back, turn around, and then I could sit down in a wheelchair. Then I went, then I ended up going back to ICU, and came back out to Slick Care, And I literally threw a therapist out of my room, I, not physically, but I told her to get out and get out now. Because she walked into my room and she goes, goes, uh, are you ready for therapy? I go, yeah, uh, I'll do anything you want. She goes, I want you to sit in the chair. And I said, no. I will do any exercise that you want me to do. I will not sit in that chair. I had bed sores. I couldn't sit in the chair without it being painful. Then she got right in my face and she goes, You don't understand. If you don't do what I tell you, then you're not going to get better and you're never going home. That's a therapist telling me this. I looked at her and I said, get out. And she said, what? I said, get out of my room now. And the nurse was in there and she looked at the therapist and goes, (laughs) So it was interesting to see how different places worked. When I finally got to Falls Village, the therapist came in and I go, I don't sit in the chair. I says, you know, but I'll do any exercise you want me to do. And he says, we're not going to ask you to do anything that you don't want to do. And we're not going to force you to do anything. But we do want you to work. And I says, I'll work, but I won't sit in the chair. So I, I, when I, before I went to Fallsville, I ended up with a urinary urinary tract infection at one of the other places that sent me right back to the ICU. Or, or, no, that was, that was the first time. The second time, I had aspirated uh, and got, uh, and ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. So I'm in ICU again with pneumonia, and they are, telling her that my lungs are full of fluid, that there's fluid forming around my lungs, and asked her, now this would be a tough question that she would have to make the decision on, asked her if they want to resuscitate me if I coded on them. Because it could do more damage than good to to try to revive me. But, uh, it was, that, that was, that was hard. Yeah, and she didn't tell me all this till last night, but I have a perpetual runny nose on one side of my nose from, from all of this, and, uh, but... Yeah, I could I couldn't imagine being in her position and having to make that decision. But uh, I ended up after after that time, one of the other places that I was at, the place that sent me back to ICU would not take me back. So we're we're trying to find out where they're going to put me. And Eric came up with. Falls Village, and uh, they transferred me, again, from Select Care to Falls Village and, uh, by ambulance. So, we go we go to Falls Village, and Sherry's following the ambulance, gets me there, and they take me inside, and they stop her at the door. They just had a COVID outbreak, so she can't come in. So... When they have a COVID outbreak, it's six days before you come in because of the quarantine. So the first six days I'm in a new place. Funny thing is, I was in the same room that I was in years ago when I had the stroke. And so I knew I was yeah, I knew I was okay. It it kind of reassuring there. And uh, so six days went by and I'm going I'm talking to her on the phone and yeah, you can come in tomorrow. And then a little bit later, the administ- administrative assistant at the nursing home walked into my room in tears. This is how good I think Falls Village is. She's in tears, and she's going, we just had another COVID outbreak, and your wife can't come in. Then she asked, do you need a magazine, a book? I said, I'll get you anything. I said, I'd like a nice tea. She says, I'll get you one. I said, no, I'm too fed. I can't eat. She goes, if you could, I'd get you one. I said, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, so I knew I was in the right place at that point. But uh, I ended up talking to my brother, Walter. I have three brothers, Bill, Walter, and John, in that order. And Bill was the one that passed away, and uh, Walter uh he's he plays around with uh, nuclear devices, so yeah. he works for a, a power company, but uh, he called me he's talking to me, asked me, yeah, am I listening to anything on yeah, on my phone?" I said, yeah, just kind of a little bit here and there. I just got the phone because to in order for her and I to to facebook a lot of or to 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 do it on an ipad that the ipad at the hospital but she had to use my my iphone in order to talk to me so so then uh yeah i was talking to my brother like the third week there and uh, he says you know he w- he was going to send me some music he says i'll send you a bunch of music i says okay yeah he had been in the hospital with cancer, and these were the songs that helped him as he was getting through it. So he had a playlist. Out of all the songs that he sent me, only one came through. It's a song called Hold Me, Jesus. I listen, I listened to that song and started crying, realizing that Jesus was holding me all that time. So I'd like for you to hear it. And the words are on with it too.
3: Sometimes my life just don't make sense at all When the mountain big and my faith just seems so small so hold me jesus cause i'm shaking like a leaf you have been king of my glory won't you be my prince of peace So hold me, Jesus, i I'm shaking like a leaf You have been king of my glory Won't you be my friend, son?
1: When I got in the in the truck this morning, that song was playing. After that, yeah, Sherry's now able to come and visit me. I I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit, because at the other hospital, Larry and Mary and Don Gornwood, they all came to see me, but they had to stand outside on a walkway. And I could look out the window and talk to them by phone because they wouldn't let them in. Even Sherry would have to come and see me at the windows. So, but at Falls Village, at third week, I was finally able to to receive visitors, and Sherry would come in, and uh, I started getting vis- a couple visitors from time to time, but. Yeah, after the third week, it was like, after I heard that song, it's like, God kind of brought me around. The staff was commenting when they would come in, says, you look amazing. They were telling me how I was improving and how much better I looked. I told them God, God had me and was reason. Then uh, I uh, kind of surprised my my nurse. I did transfer me out of that room, uh, the room that I was in that I was used to, to the third floor because at that point we were paying for it ourselves. I didn't need all of the, the the nursing care, and so we got moved to a smaller room on another floor. So, so at least I could look out the window and see sunshine and trees and and. Uh, 'cause you know, my first floor, a tree covered my window. I told my nurse after I started walking a little bit, I says, I says, I'm going home. And she goes, Okay. I says that's that's what we that's what we I says, no. I says October twenty sixth is my birthday. I will be home on my birthday. They told me that the goals were part of me getting better, but not to be surprised if I didn't make that goal. I said, no, I'm going home before my birthday. He says, well, don't be disappointed if it doesn't happen. I work with therapy. I kept the goal in sight. The staff was surprised when it was announced that I was going to be released on October 23rd. My nurse, you know, she didn't know, and she came in. She, she was the floor nurse for, for that floor, and she comes in. And they go, I'm going home on Saturday. And she started crying. She says, I'm going to miss you. I says, I'll miss you too, but I won't miss this place. <laughs> she says, no, no. I Yeah, I don't want you to be here, but I'm going to miss you. I had learned during most of this that I can get upset with staff, and I and I heard patients yelling at them and stuff, and I understood that these people are under a lot of stress themselves. So they would come in every day and take my blood sugar, and yeah, they would poke me in the finger and, and do blood tests and stuff, and they would do you know, shots and IVs and stuff, and. The uh, the one time the nurse comes in and she's going, uh, I got to take your blood sugar. I go, Oh, you're going to stab me with the steely knife? And she goes, Yeah. I says, But you just can't kill the beast. <laughs> an old an old eagle song. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then yeah, they would laugh and I would laugh. And when I was on the first floor, I had a a, uh, I can't remember the type of therapist, a pulmonary therapist, that that would come in and she would she would always put a pulse ox on my finger and check check my pulse, make sure it's okay. She and you know my my hands were always so cold that the pulse ox didn't work right, and so it told me, well he's got 98 percent oxygen, but his pulse is only 42. And she goes, is your pulse only 42? And she looked at the bed, and I'm laying there going. (laughs) She started hitting me. (laughs) She goes, stop that. But she was so nice that she checked on me every day. And even when they transferred me to the third floor, where I didn't need her services because I didn't have to be suctioned with the trach, and she took the trach out at Falls Village. And uh, she stopped by when they moved me up on the third floor to make sure everything was okay and that, that I was okay. So the people, they were good. So yeah, I was walking with a walker when they, when they released me from the hospital. So they immediately scheduled me to get a walker, a uh, wheelchair, and three therapists and a nurse to come and visit me at home. So I had a physical therapist, I had a speech therapist, and I had an occupational therapist. And then I had the nurse coming in once a week. So, you know, we were watching you know, while I was in the hospital the last four weeks or the last six weeks, out of, out of that time of the last last few weeks, we were self-pay. I had exhausted all my insurance. And then we got skilled nursing when I came home. But, uh, yeah, I had had, I, they sent me home, and for the first four weeks, I had therapists. At the end of the fourth week, at the end of the third week, the nurse signed off on me. At the end of the fourth week, all the other therapists signed off on me, and by then, we had sent back the wheelchair, which I used once, basically once outside the house, and uh, and then I would, then I started walking with the walker. But uh, and I was home for my birthday. And uh, so they did send me home with the peg tube still inserted. And I was trying to get that out before I got out. It didn't work. Yeah. But my weight had dropped from going in to coming out. This is the same three numbers, just rearranged from 215 to 152. So, my arms were sticks. I had no muscle mass. The, the one therapist told me, he says, you've got ICU myopathy neuropathy. And I said, what's that? He says, that's when the core of your body uses the extremities to survive. So, my body was literally eating my muscles and my arms and legs. And I, I got a little bit of it back. I'm, I'm working on the rest of it. So, feeding stew was still in my stomach, and it took I don't know a couple of weeks before they would let me try to eat. So I had to I had to learn to start swallowing, and and it was in the fourth probably the fourth week of therapy at home that I was actually well I, I cheated a little bit but. That I would I would put something in my mouth and and just kind of make sure that it went down the right tube because they were worried about me aspirating. I made a mistake one night that we were sitting there and I said I'm going to try a pepperoni. Big mistake. I drank an entire glass of water for that one. But I had I had eaten since two days after Christmas the year before. So, you know, she was feeding me with the feeding tube, she'd come in, instead of, they, they switched me from continuous feed to feeding me four times a day. The bad part with that was, I could feel my stomach getting full and it coming up into my throat, and I'm going, no, no, no more, no more. So. The, the interesting and the funny part about all of this was, I had high blood pressure, I had diabetes, and most of that is gone. It's starting to come back as I gain more weight, but oh, by the way, the PEG-2, after I threatened to take it out myself, and I knew I was going on vacation, they removed it on April 6th. Yeah. So, I'm well on the way to recovery. Yeah, you know, I've got a lot of exercises I got to do. Uh, I got a lot of churches I got to get this testimony at. But there's two things I want to bring your attention because God brought them to my attention when when I was able to to discern what He was saying. So, one of them, I'll start with Matthew 24 chapter verses three through eight. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will ride against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. So, you know, God's letting us know this is, these are the last days. This is, you know, nation rising against nation, wars and rumors of wars. Russia and Ukraine is, you know, that's the the breaking news every day on uh, on TV. Famines, those have been going on for a while. Pestilences and earthquakes. You heard about earthquakes in different places around here. In places you don't usually get earthquakes, but then pestilences. So let's talk about COVID. Webster's definition of pestilence, a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that is virulent and devastating. I think that COVID's picture should have been right there. Yeah, it's a pestilence. It's marking the beginning of the end. So. The other thing that God told me about was that if you're waiting until your deathbed to give give your life over to God that you may have waited too late. This yeah. You know, and Luke 23:42 and 43 then he said, Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. The first deathbed confession. It was, was the thief on the cross. He was awake and was able to do it. He was in pain, but he was able to talk to Jesus. So if, if you're joining us online, or even if you're here, I want you to understand that if you are waiting on your deathbed before giving your life to him, you may have waited too long. Because I was on deathbed twice. Twice. I had no recollection of it and no way to reach out to God if I had to. So, you are here and you who joined us through streaming. One thing to say is now's the time. If you don't know him now, don't wait any longer. Let us pray. Jesus... I understand that you love me, and you died on the cross so that I may have eternal life. I want you to come into my heart right now. I am not waiting until it's too late. Come into my heart and live in me in your precious name. I pray. Amen. Thank you for being here, and thank you for joining us today uh, by one of the uh, the platforms that we use. Uh, I hope that you at home have also given your heart to him because tomorrow maybe you may be on the deathbed and you may not be able to. Thank you.
0: Before we close out today and kind of go in a different direction, we're going to take time for communion. Donna and Nancy can come and get ready for that. But as we, before we, are we still on line? Um, told mark before church and you know, we had prayer back there and i said it's weird today i was i never get on facebook on sundays before church and today i happened to go there and a friend of mine whose wife posted this and um i have to find it again because you know how those things will get away from you 49 years ago today, and I don't know if dad remembers Bill Brack in Ocala, a ball-headed guy that was on staff there. I wasn't ball-headed back then, so I could say that. But 49 years ago, Bill broke his neck, and his wife wrote, I thought I would repost this. A big thanks to his sister, Anne for rescuing him from the bottom of the lake and our Savior, Jesus, for the many years of blessings in his life, Bev. And that's his wife. And here's what Bill wrote back in 2015. Bill was struck with the effects of dementia, everybody. So I'm not sure that he he's a great writer and he's a wonderful minister of God. And he wrote, 42 years ago yesterday, my sister rescued me after I dove into shallow water and broke my neck. After being in the Marines and deployed in several hot spots in the Far East, doctors told me that if I lived, I'd never walk again. I spent over two years in and out of hospitals. 42 years later, I have run 25 miles a week, been certified an advanced scuba diver. Played tennis, sired four children, and am blessed with six grandkids. How is it possible for one who was told that if he lived, he'd never walk again? Though I have daily physical challenges and now have challenges associated with getting older, the only explanation I know is that there is a God who gives grace and mercy. I now count my many scars. A right arm that doesn't work very well. Bill used to play golf with one hand. Thank you for joining us today. The original version of this message can be found on our website at thelightinkent.com. For more information, you can also reach out to us at info at or message us on Facebook.